Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. Well, let me take a few words. First of all, you know, we could end the service here and be out by 12, and I know everyone would love that, you know. Um, But we won't do that. But we will be out soon. I won't take a lot of time. But there was a lot of questions. Can we really do this by 12 o'clock? Gee, bar mitzvahs and everything, it's so long. But look, we did it five minutes before. We started a little late. So I'm really excited about that. So I'll just make up the difference. But uh, I just want to draw your attention to this portion that, um, and I, you know, I just feel awkward behind things like this. But um, let me share with you from the portion that, Uh, Rachel had read from the prophet, the prophet Isaiah. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. I'd like you to start by looking at chapter 43 and the verses that um, Rachel had read. As I said earlier, the Torah is read at its completion and then we begin it afresh. And not only is it to remind us that God's word never ceases to have its impact on us, It not only signifies that we can never learn it all, it's God's word and it cannot be fully understood. We always need to keep re-studying it and reviewing it and rereading it. And if we do so with an open mind, an open heart and a, a heart sensitive to God, and I would say with a lot of commentaries, you will learn all kinds of new things that you've never learned before, even if you're studying God's word for 40 or 50 years. And that's when it's really exciting, when you open up those pages and you say, I had never seen that before. And sometimes I should have seen that, but I hadn't, but now I have, and man, what a neat thing uh, to find in God's word. One of the neat things that I learned about God's word, not just recently, but uh, a few weeks or months ago or so, is that when the Torah scroll ends, it ends with the statement that a prophet like Moses had not yet arisen among the Jewish people. And I never thought much about that phrase until recently of how critical a statement that is. Because what Moses tells us, remember, he's written the whole five books, except for that very ending, which chronicles his death. But what Moses is telling us through the entirety of the Torah, and I would say all the writers of Scripture throughout the entirety of God's Word, is that when the Messiah comes on the scene of history, it is to him that we must bow. It is he who we must accept. It is he who has the gift of life, redemption, and restoration. If we do not acknowledge him, we are losing everything that God's Word is meant to convey to us. Now, earlier, 
Moses tells us in Deuteronomy or so, or book of Numbers chapter 18, that there would be a prophet that would come on the scene of history who would be like Moses. And to him, we must adhere. To him, we must listen, hearken, and obey. And if we don't, it will be required at our own hands. In other words, we will suffer terrible consequences for not acknowledging that prophet who would be like Moses. And what is it about Moses that this prophet would be like? What would be distinguishing about Moses that is unlike any other prophet? And the one thing that separates Moses from all the other prophets, all the other spokespersons of God, is that he spoke to God face to face. And God makes the point that Moses is not like his other servants, not like his other prophets. With Moses, I speak face to face. The point is he would speak intimately with him. He would speak directly to him. There would be no intermediary between God's revelation and Moses who would receive it. And when at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, we read of Moses' death, the point is up to that time, we have not yet found the prophet who is like Moses. Where is he? Keep your eyes open. And as we read the Torah scroll and we finish it and start again, it's symbolizing that the prophet like Moses has not yet risen among us. We must keep our eyes open to look for him. Now, for we who are Messianic Jews and those who believe in Yeshua as Messiah who may not be of a Jewish background, we've recognized that the prophet like Moses has come. And when one reads Isaiah 42 and 43, we recognize that indeed he has come because what Isaiah 42 and 43 tells us is that that one, when he comes, will bring about the full restoration and redemption of Israel and the nations. Isaiah 42 and 43 is a critical portion of Isaiah's book. It's a section that deals with the servant of the Lord. It comes in after chapter 40, in which chapter 40 is the proclamation of the herald of the king, who will make straight the roadways for the Messiah to come. And so Isaiah 40 starts a whole new section in the book of Isaiah. Chapters 1 to 39, the focus is on the coming judgment of God because of, his, of our people's disobedience. But chapters 40 through the end, 66, tells us that the suffering servant, the servant of the Lord would come, the one who would be like Moses, and he would bring about our ultimate redemption. Now take a look at Isaiah chapter 43, the verses that Rachel had read for us. Look at some cool things that come out of this passage. You'll see why the rabbis put it together. Verse one, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. Those two words are right out of Genesis one. In the beginning, God created. There's our first word. Elohim bara Adonai et HaShemayim ve'et HaAretz. In the beginning, God created. The word bara is a unique word in the Hebrew Scriptures. It is only used of God. It is only used of God creating things. And look what he says in in Isaiah. That he's the one who, like the creation of the universe, created Israel. And he created the universe out of nothing. He said, let there be, and it was. In Latin, we say, he created ex nihilo. 
Nihilism is the philosophical belief that everything is meaningless. Everything is nothingness. And so in Latin, we say that he created ex nihilo. He created it out of nothing. And so the universe did not exist until God brought it forth by a miracle of his voice. The same thing is true with the Jewish people. Now, I know here at Beth Ariel, we're always very cautious not to elevate the Jewish people too high and cause the non-Jews to sink too low. And so we make a great effort in making sure that we emphasize we're one new man in Messiah. And that is true. But Isaiah 43 tells us something about the Jewish people. They are like the creation of the world. As unique as the creation is, so are the Jewish people. As a sign and indicator of the living God as the creation is, so are the Jewish people. If we look at the creation deep enough, if we look at it and scrutinize it with all of our ability, we find that the universe is a very unique place and it is a signpost to the living God. And thus, it points us to God who alone is creator of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaiah's point is just like God created the universe out of nothing, he created Israel out of nothing. Israel was not a people until he called Abraham out of Chaldea, Ur of Chaldea, and to go to the land that God would show him. Otherwise, the descendants of Abraham would be like all other descendants that exist. But because God uniquely called, there's his voice, and said to Abraham, I'm going to bring you to a land and I'm going to make descendants of you that will be like the stars in heaven and the sand on the seashore. Unless God fulfilled that promise, the descendants of Abraham would not be of anything unique among all the nations of the world. Their uniqueness resides in the creative activity of God. And as such, they are a signpost to the living God as much as the universe as a whole is as well. And so he says, the Lord who created you out of nothing. The second word, check this out. He says, he who formed you. That's the word that's used for the creation of man and woman. He formed him. He fashioned him. He molded him. He took the dust of the earth and like a sculptor sculpted the human being. And out of the rib of one, he created the woman. In the same way that God uniquely crafted men and women, unique among all of God's creation, God, Isaiah is telling us he uniquely crafted the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uniquely crafted the Jewish people as his own people. Now notice this. He says, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. That pair... He who created you, Jacob, he who created you, Israel. Jacob, Israel is found in Isaiah 13 times. Only once is it inverted. Jacob, uh, Israel, and Jacob. All of them are Jacob and Israel. It's as if, and I believe this is so, God is reminding us that when Israel was even like Jacob was before he was named Israel, God had chosen them. Even in their place of lowliness and, dare I say it, sinfulness. That this is all an act of God's grace. And so we remember what Jacob was like. Jacob was the one who had ungraciously received the right of primogeniture from Esau. You remember Esau came, he was hungry, and he said to Jacob, give me some of the food that you've made. And Jacob said, I'll give it to you, but you have to give me your birthright. 
Now, Esau didn't do any, uh, Jacob didn't do anything wrong, but he didn't do anything gracious either. He could have said to his brother, sure, no problem, here you go. Remember, God had already told Rebekah, his mother, that the elder will serve the younger. Esau will serve Jacob. Jacob's failure was in his inability to trust God to bring that to bear. And as a result, he acted like one who acts on the heel. That's what Yaakov means. One who acts on the heel. And in the womb, he was fighting with Esau. He desired the right thing. The blessing of the firstborn. He honored the things that God honored. Esau did not. He despised his birthright. We understand that. But Jacob's securing of the right thing the wrong way does not excuse him. It's only later, after Jacob is forced to leave his family, after he has married not one but two women, after he has had 12 sons and a daughter, after he is on his way back to the land of Israel some 20, 30 years later when, from when he left, that he meets up with his brother again. And there he wrestles with God. And here he will not let go of the angel of the Lord to the angel blesses him. The angel does. I believe it's the Messiah who is present. And he says to him, now your name is changed. The moment the name is changed, God is taking ownership of Jacob and he's going to extend his grace to Jacob in a way he hadn't yet. And now as one to whom he extends his grace, he's renamed Yisrael, prince with God. One who strove with God, fought with God, endured with God, and God then blessed him. Jacob was transformed into Israel. And Isaiah wants to remind us of our origin. We come out of a lowly place, though God intends to do something great with the people he has chosen. And so in Isaiah 43, he says, it is I who created you. It is I who formed you. It is he who has summoned us by name. And look at this. You are mine. Now, to Israel, they belong to God. But this is true of all individuals that embrace the Messiah of Israel. We are his. But check this out. He says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, when you go through difficult times, Rachel made reference to challenges we face in our lives. And when we go through these challenges, we're told he will be with us and these challenges will not destroy us. Why? Look at verse 4. Because we are precious in his sight. Because we are loved by him. It is the grace of God that has made us God's children. As Jews, it is the grace of God that has made us his chosen people. As believers, it is the grace of God by which we have come to embrace him and have been made new. Now take a look at Isaiah 42. Here's the reason why, which is what Isaiah puts at the front end, but I wanted to start at the back end. In Isaiah 42, here is my servant. Behold, my servant. In the Hebrew, my servant is first. It's in the emphatic position. My servant, behold him. Every time Isaiah uses the word behold, he means to introduce. It's used uh, consistently throughout his writing. Every time he has hine, behold, it introduces a supernatural action on God's part. 
And here it introduces the servant of the Lord, the one whom God has chosen, the one whom the Lord would uphold, the one whom God would sustain, because this one is going to go through some very challenging experiences. But God promises to uphold him and sustain him. Look what we're told. Further, the spirit of the Lord will be upon him. The only other place where this phrase is used in Isaiah, the spirit being upon, is Isaiah chapter 11. Where the spirit of the Lord rests upon the Messiah. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That's the only other place this phrase is used. And so when Isaiah uses it here, he means for us to think what he said earlier in chapter 11 about the coming Messiah. And by the way, all the rabbis have agreed up until the modern era that Isaiah 42 is about the Messiah of Israel. Translations say, behold the Messiah. And here we can see that it is the Messiah that is made reference to. But look at this. He tells us he will bring justice to the nations, the Gentile nations, not the Jews, but the nations. And look at this. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. He will have, he will be sensitive to those in need. He'll be compassionate to those who are hurting. But then he says, this is what God the Lord says, verse five. He who created the heavens, Stretch them out. There's our Genesis chapter one that Rachel read. Who spread out the earth and all that comes of it. Who gives breath to his people and life to those who walk in it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you. Here's the key phrase. And will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. It's a very interesting phrase because he says this servant will be a covenant. He doesn't say the servant will make a covenant with us. He says the servant is the covenant with us. This is much like what Yeshua says when he says, I am not merely the way to something. I am the way. He merely not points us to the way. He is the way. He doesn't just tell us the truth. He is the truth. He doesn't just give us life. He is life. And here Isaiah is saying that this servant of the Lord is the covenant itself. And in being the covenant, Isaiah uses a phrase when he says at the very beginning, my servant whom I uphold, literally it says, my servant in whom I delight. And that word delight is the word that's used throughout the Mosaic law to speak of God's acceptance of the sacrifices that are offered to him. God finds delight in the sacrifices of the Levitical priesthood. And now Isaiah is saying, this one who will be the covenant is the one in whom he will find delight like he does in the sacrifices in the Levitical system. What Isaiah is telling us is this one will be the covenant. He will be the sacrifice for us. That's the point Isaiah is making. And so much so that that sacrifice is what is acceptable before God. It is that sacrifice that the Lord will take delight in and no other. That is why we are not arrogant when we say there is no salvation under heaven but in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. There isn't salvation in any other religion, any other faith, any other individual, any other idea because it is only Messiah who he takes delight in. It is only Messiah's death 
that is acceptable to him. And thus he becomes the covenant for us, the promise for us, the guarantee of our redemption and ultimate restoration. So Isaiah chapter one, as Rachel said, introduces us to this good God who made everything well. And thus it was good, 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 very good. It is this one who in Isaiah 42 and 43, who has created like the creation, the Jewish people. And through them, the servant would come in whom God alone would be pleased. And because of God's acceptance of the servant's sacrifice, which is a delight to God, salvation can be found in him, but in none other. And therefore, Isaiah tells us in the same passage, Isaiah 42, that he would be a light to the nations. And he would be one who would come for his people as well. This is a fantastic passage. I encourage you to read through it, reflect on it, think about some of the things that I've shared. But most importantly, if you have never embraced Messiah, you need to do that. And you need to recognize that indeed he has come for me. And in coming for me, he has provided the atonement for your sin. And in providing you the atonement for your sin, he's the one who will be with you when you pass through the waters. He's the one who will be with you when you pass through the fires of life. He's the one who will keep you from all harm. And as Rachel read from Psalm 23, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil or bad thing because you are with me. And he is just a prayer away from being with you for all of eternity. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness. And we're grateful for your grace, mercy, and compassion and your creative brilliance in bringing about not only such a marvelous world, but a marvelous plan of restoring and redeeming all peoples who have been alienated and separated from you. I pray that each and every one of us in this room might be spoken to by your spirit and that we would be receptive to your truth as it's been read in both the Torah and the prophets. May we not delay, but may we run to you for in you alone is salvation. For it's in Messiah's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers. And if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel with a large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.